Man, God has done some awesome things uh, in our church. I'm going to tell you, having been a pastor that has had the experience of baptizing my kids, man, that is a, that is a true blessing. So uh, Jeremiah's first baptism, actually. So I told him that's a, that's a heck of a way to lead off. Uh, so, man, we are super excited about uh, what God's done in Daniel's life. And as he said, man, if you listen, if you're here and, and you don't have your baptism in order, you haven't, uh, there's, there's never been a time where you have boldly professed. That's what baptism is. It is a public profession of what Christ has done on the inside. So if he has changed your life, if you have a relationship with Christ and you've never followed in believer's baptism, man, please don't hesitate. Literally, we have the water. We'll make the accommodations for you to be baptized today. We've got clothes in the back. I mean, we, we got you covered, all right? Uh, so, so we would love uh, for you to do that. Love, obviously, to talk with you and have conversation about that if, if that's where any of you are. Turn in your Bibles to the single page of the book of Obadiah. As I heard a friend of mine say, open your Bibles to the concordance, find Obadiah, and then turn to it. Um, and our table of contents, not concordance, the table of contents, right? And so uh, Obadiah is where we are in today. I will be honest with you. I have never heard a message preached on the book of Obadiah. And as I began to study for this message, I realized why there is ne- I have never heard a sermon preached in the book of Obadiah. Um, man, there is some uh, really, really interesting things here. But as, as has been the case through the entire return series, man, what we see in the minor prophets primarily... What is, what is put in the magnifying glass, though we can't always relate to the context that it was written in, we can't always relate to the life and times of the minor prophets. What we can relate to is the character of God that we see revealed in it. And so God has revealed his character in the book of Hosea. We saw God's character revealed as a God who preserves. And so the call was to return for God's people, to return to a God who has pursued us with his love. In Joel, we see the story uh, of a God who restores his people in the day of the Lord, where there's judgment of evil, but there is blessing and there is oneness with God in heaven forever forever. for his people, and so a God who restores. In Amos, we see a God who sees. He is aware of us. He is a God who is acquainted with every one of our actions and the intents of our heart. And this week, as we look at the book of Obadiah, who finishes, a God who finishes what he starts with me. Father, thank you so much for your word. I would pray is that you would make me an effective steward of it. As I've studied, I pray that you would show me in this hour what I am to say. And God, I pray that it would change the heart and the lives of all of us as we encounter your word today. Father, be with us, be glorified in these next few moments as you have been glorified already. In your name we pray, amen. So when I grew up in Lick Skillet, Alabama, that's 
you actually have probably maybe been there. We're still pretty close to Isom's, but you probably have been to Scott's Apple Orchard. Uh, more famous the Lick Skillet Music Barn, uh, which is a great way for growing up teenage Alan Ostrisky take dates and allow the senior adult men to teach my dates how to buck dance or buck walk. Uh, it's as exciting as it sounds, I assure you. Um, one thing about Lick Skillet, Alabama, is when you play ball in Lick Skillet, you play off of Op Reynolds at Blue Springs Ballpark. Anybody ever played a ball game at Blue Springs in Tony, Alabama? Yeah. All right. I got some hands. I got some hands. Some people grew up real close to it, right? Uh, so Blue Springs Park, man, I got my first taste of sports and I loved it. Man, I loved baseball. I, 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 I took to it. I, I thought it was awesome. I loved sports. I played basketball. Now, I'll be honest with you. I am not very good at basketball. People see 6'3 and go, well, hey, he's good. And if, if you give me a bunch of middle schoolers, sure, I'll dominate. Uh, but as soon as people can actually jump past my outstretched arms, I'm, I'm garbage. Uh, I'll rebound and that'll be about it. Uh, and I've never really understood how to make the ball go in the hole intentionally more than my opponent. Like, I get that that's what's supposed to happen. I just don't know how to prevent it from happening on the other side and really how to do things to align myself to score the basketball on my end. Uh, it just eluded me. But I loved sports. I loved when I got a little bit older and I was able to play football. Man, that was a game changer for me. I loved playing football. But there was a misstep along the way. And this is no reflection on this sport. So if you love this sport, praise the Lord for you. But I tried my hand for one year playing soccer. Now, I was not a fat kid. I know that. Because I have the title of what I was. My pants told me I was husky, so I didn't care what my sister called me. My pants said husky. I was never fat. I was just husky. And when you mix the perfect blend of plumpness, unathletic little kid in the awkward stages of life, and running around chasing the ball... It just was a recipe for disaster for me. Goalie didn't work out because that's where you put the portly kid, right? Did you put, put, him, at, put him at goalie so he can guard more area? Uh, but it didn't work out for me. Apparently, I was not good enough at goalie. And so they put me in a position where I was running the field chasing the ball. I learned that I preferred the sports that the ball came to me. Right? Like baseball was great because ball gets pitched right by me. The, the ball gets hit right to me, and I could just stay in place, and then once it comes to me, I'm, I'm good, right? Well, I remember playing soccer, and about two or three games in, when I realized, bro, you ain't going to score ever. You're not going to sniff the net. Forget that. Um, uh, all you're going to do, son, is run till you throw up. That, that's all that soccer was for me is a game where I ran till I threw up. And I didn't like it. Especially little six, seven-year-old me, I was out on that game. And I remember going to my dad, and he taught me a lesson that was reiterated over and over and over again in my life. He said, son, I said, dad, listen, soccer ain't for me. It's not for me. I got plenty of other sports I can play, would love to play, but soccer ain't for me. Here's all the reasons why I believe I need to quit. Let's just be done with it, wash your hands of it, and be through. And my dad began to explain to me why, son, you started something. 
you signed up to play. We paid the money, which was probably did figure in in his penny pinching mind a little bit. I got that from my dad, getting the most out of, out of your buck. But son, you've started something, and we don't just stop when it gets hard. You finish what you start. Now, this was something that was reiterated over and over, like when I got introduced in middle school to bull in the ring in football. And I know none of you young guys know that. I know what that is, but that means you get the biggest and the baddest guys to take your head off, and you don't see them coming. You stand in the middle, and they come from all angles, and you just get tore up. It teaches you toughness. That, that's the only takeaway I can think of to bull in the ring. And I got introduced to that, and I remember I had a problem with that. What did Dad do? He sat me down. Dad, I'm ready to quit. He sat me down and said, son, when it gets hard, it doesn't mean you quit. You finish what you start. People are depending on you, and you finish what you start. When things don't get seen to completion, it causes conflict and angst. My dad taught me a very important lesson that I have, again, taught my kids as well. We don't, we finish what we start. And so when we talk about a God that finishes what we see in a lot of the minor prophets and what the people of God began to see is it looked like God had stopped midstream in his judgment. That he judged all of God's people, but he did not judge the nations that were just as evil as he was. Specifically, the nation of Edom. The nation of Edom from Esau brother, the rugged, better-looking brother, the brother that anybody would have thrown their weight behind. Hey, I can champion this guy. He's an outdoorsman. This dude's got the rugged, good looks. Like, man, I can champion this guy, right? The descendants of this guy. And then you have Jacob, the descendants of Jacob. And the Jacob was a soft, kind of manipulative mama's boy. That liked to stay at home, he liked to hang out at the house, and he liked to trick his dad into giving him the birthright blessing, right? And, and so Esau and Jacob are kind of seen, and we'll get into that in a moment, but God's people, the descendants of Jacob, were looking at Edom. Specifically looking at things that Edom had done to them to harm them. Listen, if there was ever a rivalry, it was between Jacob and Esau. It was between Edom and right? And they looked at what God was allowing. It appeared as though God was not just because his justice had not been seen through He had not finished his judgment. God, if you're going to judge us, then you need to judge them. And so God gives a message to his people about the fall of Edom. We don't know anything, by the way, about the author uh, of Edom other than, of of Obadiah, other than his name. That's, That's what we know. There are obscure references to other Obadiahs in the Old Testament sporadically, but we don't know if it was the same one. But we do no, based on what he says, that this is where it falls in the timeline of events. Uh, if you see Daniel, Ezekiel, Jeremiah down there, we got our cursor working. Yeah, go ahead and, go ahead and just kind of circle for everybody, Obadiah, right there underneath Daniel, Ezekiel, and Jeremiah. You'll see it, I just saw the cursor and then it's gone. Did you see it? This is, this is going back to the whole fiasco of my life. 
your pointer. Um, but Obadiah is right there above the 70-year exile. There we go, 70-year exile. Uh, this is when we know that Obadiah was written because of the, the situation that Israel finds itself in. There's a chance that it could have been a little bit earlier, but we believe more than likely it was right in the wake of Jerusalem's destruction by the Babylonians in 586 BC. And so the nation of Israel is being carried away into captivity. But God has a message of the completion of his wrath that he is going to pour out, not just on Israel, not just on Judah, but on all the world, on Edom and by extension, all the world. All right, and so we don't know anything really about it, but God's people, while not innocent themselves, were seeing some of the atrocities of Edom and doubting the justice of God. Remember we talked about last week. Remember what we talked about that God's justice. Because God is just. God, because of who he is, is going to about justice. What we as God's people have been tasked with is seeking God's grace. We seek his grace not because of who God is, because he is gracious and good and loving. We seek God's grace because we are not. Not because of who God is, but because of who we are. And so, The people of Edom chose to take a stance counter to that idea. What Amos chapter 9. Remember we left it here where we left off in Amos last week. Listen to verse 11 of Amos chapter 9. In that day I will raise up the booth of David that has fallen and repair its breaches and raise up its ruins and build it as in the days of old. So God is going to restore Israel. This is a common trend in throughout the minor prophets, right? That God will judge Israel and then he will restore Israel. God will restore the house of David, the tent, the booth of David, the tabernacle of David. But listen to this. That they may possess the remnant, the remnant of Edom. So there is a remnant of Edom that will be saved. And all the nations who are called by my name declares the Lord who does this. And so we see in Amos a promise that God will not just save his people, but he's going to save all the nations, chief among which are the people of Eden. Edom. Why Edom? Because of the rivalry that existed. Because of the two brothers because of the hatred between, between the countries, if God was going to save, if God was going to save Edom, then He would save any nation that would come. That was the mentality to God's people. And so, because remember, the writings of the minor prophets were in one scroll, it makes sense that the positioning of Obadiah details what happened to Edom. What did Edom do? Why did they do it? And then what is the resulting? of what they've done. And so that is why it falls here in the logical because it's logical in the way that it in the way it is brought up. And so what we will see by the end is how we get back to Amos 9, how God restored of Edom. First thing we see is Edom's sentence before Israel. Remember Israel's cry, God, you're not just. There's no way you can be just and allow Edom not to be punished. Listen to Obadiah 1 through 4. The vision of Obadiah is the Lord God. We have heard a report from the Lord, and a messenger has been sent among the nations. Rise up. Let us rise up against her for battle. 
Behold, I will make you small, Edom, among the nations. You will be utterly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you, you who live in the clefts of the rock, in your lofty dwellings who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? For you soar aloft like eagles, like the eagle, though your nest is set among the stars. From there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. God is pronouncing judgment on Edom. Obadiah 6 through 9. How Esau has been pillaged, his treasures sought out. All of your allies have driven you to your border. Those at peace with you have deceived you. They have prevailed against you. Those who eat your bread have set a, set a trap beneath you, and you have no understanding. Will I not on that day, declares the Lord, destroy the wise men out of Edom and understanding out of Mount Esau, and your mighty men shall be dismayed, O Teman, so that every man from Mount Esau will be cut off by slaughter. This is a grim picture of what is about to happen to Edom. Literally, historically, what we know to be true is God literally wipes them off the face of the planet. So much so that it wasn't until just a couple centuries ago that we were able to even find the remains of their capital city, Petra. We couldn't even find it archaeologically. We couldn't find it because it had been so utterly destroyed. This is the desolation that God is bringing about. What is he showing? He's telling his people, listen, you don't have to doubt my justice. I am good. Now, these are people that don't know what it's like to have the Holy Spirit of God dwelling within them. Right, That God has been their God and they have been their people, but they don't understand what it's like to have the goodness of God dwelling within their heart and lives. This is Old Testament. And so God is explaining what he will do to the nation of Edom. You see, up until this point, God had relatively protected both of these countries. All of the bad things that Israel did, God had protected them by and large. By and large, Edom, had protect, he had protected them as well. In fact, during the conquest, when they're going into the promised land, God tells them, don't mess with Edom. Why? Because they're your brother. They're family, right? They're your brother, and you don't turn against your brother. And so God had protected both of these powers. But now in the wake of the destruction, Edom is going to respond in a certain way. And it's going to incur the wrath of God on them. And so there's a rivalry between these two brothers. Listen, if you've had a brother, if you are a male and you have a brother, you understand this rivalry. I've got two boys. They're three years apart. But my middle kid is tough, y'all. He's like a piece of rebar. And my parents, my parents made the um, ill-advised decision when they were very young to introduce them to Rocky. And so it is not uncommon in my household, and if you've been in my house, you know how this goes, to hear some commotion, hear a gigantic thud, and to hear my oldest exclaim, and down goes Apollo. They just fight. 
That's what they love to fight. They just love to wrestle. They'll do it on the, uh, in the living room. They'll do it in their bedroom. They'll do it uh, on the trampoline. It just doesn't matter. In the yard, it just doesn't matter. There's a rivalry between them. They love each other, but there's a rivalry between them. There was a rivalry between Jacob and Esau, specifically as it relates to the promises of God. Right? I, Esau had an, an axe to grind with Jacob. Jacob would leave Right, would flee his brother for fear of what his brother would do to him. And this has played itself out. Edom took a lot of the personality of Esau. Edom was a rugged environment. It was a place made in the mountains, hewn out of the mountains. He talked about clefts and rocks and mountains because the place is mountainous. In fact, Petra was literally hewn out of a mountain. There were caves and caverns everywhere and secret passageways. And for a long time, they were protected because of how fortified that they were. But like Esau, they were also pretty godless. They didn't acknowledge the one true God. They had turned away to their pagan gods in the same way Esau. We, we see Jacob as the one who wrestles with God. We see Jacob as the one who is blessed by God. We see Jacob who's the one that receives visions from God. He's the one with the interaction, but we don't hear a whole lot about Esau's interaction with God. And in the same way, Edom is relatively godless. Instead, Edom trusted in the wisdom of the world. And in fact, when you hear of people that came as Edomites, we hear them referred to as people of wisdom. The Herods. The Herods came from Edom. That even Jesus would call Herod Antipas a fox, right? They had positionally aligned themselves to be in a position of power during the time of Christ in the early church. Eliphaz, that weird dude that came to cheer up Job and was the one that told Job all the reasons why he was going through what he was going through. And Job's like, I'm telling you, I did not do anything wrong. Eliphaz represented the world's wisdom. What, what we see about Edom is they were very crucial in a trade route. And so when people would want to do business in the Mediterranean, they would come through those mountain passes. And either you paid tribute to Edom or they just robbed you. You don't have to pay tribute, but we're going to come down from these mountains and we're going to take everything you got. And so their caves and their homes that were made in caves were filled with great riches. It's why he says all of your riches are plundered, right? And so all of the things that made Esau strong is what made Edom strong. And in the same way, Israel, you could argue, took the personality of their father as well. Israel is not well defended. It's why it's in turmoil. It's why there's things going on. It's why there's unrest there, right? Israel disobeyed God. Israel was just as sinful, you could argue, as Edom, but they did it with a specific religious flavor about them. They were manipulative, and they, they, they sought to gain things for their own advantage. But there was this rivalry that was between them. But Edom chose, in light of the destruction of their brother, Edom chose pride in their own strength, rather than humility. Man, if, if God's people, those that have the promise of God can fall, then anybody can fall. They had an opportunity. They had a decision to make. They could trust in God or they could trust in their own strength. And 
Edom made a very poor decision. So, I want to illustrate that. We're going to play a little game. Anybody in here have a sweet tooth? A bunch of liars. Anybody have a sweet tooth that don't mind playing a game? All right, come on, Logan. Saw his hand first. Man, come on, come on, just sit, stand up here with me. So, Logan, here's the deal. Now, you can trust me, okay? I'm not pulling the wool over your eyes. There is, a, there is candy in both of these bags. Both of them have candy. All you have to do is select which bag you would like to draw from. Uh, this bag is from probably one of our kids' birthday parties from days gone by. And this is uh, cheap takeout with apparently food stains on it from uh, I Love Sushi where my wife had a random craving. So either of these bags are yours, but you can only have one. What, uh, what bag would you like to select for your, for your candy? The I Love Sushi one. Okay. The I Love Sushi one. Give us... Why, why, why do you think so? Why? It just looks like it has better candy in it. Okay. I'm sensing that you don't trust me. I'm sensing that you think I'm up to something. Yeah, I do. Okay. Well, open up your bag there and show everybody what you got. Hey, Logan. You fell from my trap. You ever heard of that? Good and plenty. That, my friends, is the worst candy God has ever had on this earth. God, in his sovereignty, has allowed things that we don't understand. Good and plenty is on that list. The worst candy, man, that the world... You like, do you like licorice? Well, you're about to. Good luck. Thank you, man. Thank you for playing. I, we'll get there. It's, it's okay. We'll get there. We'll get there. Thank you for playing, buddy. I appreciate it. Thanks, Jeremiah. Y'all give him a hand. Good and plenty originated when someone said, my goodness, this black licorice is as bad as I could ever imagine. Let's coat it and take it in pill form. That's how, that's how good and plenty originated, right? It's terrible. It's really bad. Um, had he chosen what was in the pretty bag, though, you may not like these, but as far as my family's concerned, this is the greatest thing ever. Sugar babies? <laughs> he is now trying the good and plenty. Uh, and this has worked out swimmingly because both services have picked that bag. So now I have two boxes of sugar babies that I can eat whenever I want to. Um, sugar babies are God's grift, gift to mankind, right? I love these things. They do cause cavities apparently, but they are delicious. Now, what just happened? What do we just see? I believe what we saw is Logan made a decision. And I just can't help but believe he was doubting my goodness a little bit. It's almost like he felt like, <laughs> are we getting a drink for him to wash it down? That's awesome. That's so great. Uh, that is, that's hilarious. <laughs> If you can, man, if you can stomach those communion wafers, they can't be worse than that, man. That's, um, so, 
what we've seen is he knew, he figured something was up, right? He may have even seen somebody do something similar where we hide something good in a bad bag. I want y'all to know something. Every decision that God has allowed in his sovereignty for us to make is not God trying to trick us. What happened is Logan just doubted how genuine I was really trying to be. And so he sided with the bag that looked bad. I want you to know the bulk of the decisions that you make in life. It's important to bathe these things in prayer, but we don't have to pray about things that God's already ruled on. Deuteronomy chapter 30. Moses says something to the people. He says, I have placed before you life and death, blessing and cursing, beautiful bag and garbage throwaway takeout bag. Choose life that you may live. And the only reason why we would choose otherwise, the only reason why Israel would choose otherwise, the only reason why Edom chose otherwise is because we doubt the goodness, the protection, and the willingness of God to provide for us. We doubt his goodness, and in so doing, we receive the curse instead of the blessing. As a pastor, I've actually talked to one of our staff about this recently. The response, I'll pray about it. While I understand where it's coming from, I like, it does elicit a little bit of a subconscious eye roll sometimes in my head. Now, there are sometimes legitimate decisions that we really do need to pray about. But there are certain things that God has already ruled on, folks. God has already ruled on it. God desires that we grow. God desires that we pursue him in a relationship with him. God desires that we plug in to small groups. God desires that we have accountability in our life. God desires these things for us. And and what Moses is saying is, listen, obey God's commands or don't obey God's commands. Here's life. Here's death. Choose life, dummy. That's what Moses is saying. And the nation of Israel chose the other. When we doubt the goodness of the gift giver, oftentimes we receive the curse instead of the blessing. Edom, instead of trusting God, instead of responding in humility, listen to this, God's justice is revealed either through humility or humiliation. Listen, God still just. He is still right. He is still holy, regardless of the decisions we make. People say, well, I don't believe in God. Well, guess what? You're not hurting feelings. God's. God, you're not hurting God's feelings by not believing in him. Your belief in him doesn't make him any less God. You've just chosen a curse. Instead of Edom responding in humility, they chose to hedge their bets on the strength of their own power, and as a result, they saw calamity. Within five years, the nation of Babylon, in 80 years, give or take, a coalition of nations would come against them, and y'all, it's really hard to find anything about Edom anymore. Literally wiped off the planet. So let's look at Edom's sin against Israel. Obadiah 10. Secondly, Edom's sin, right? We see what happens. We see the results of their actions. 
But look at Edom's sin against Israel. Obadiah 10, because of the violence done to your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you and you shall be cut off forever. That's pretty clean, isn't it? That's pretty, that's pretty serious. You're not just going to be cut off. You know, the nation of Israel was cut off and then they were restored, right? They finally got into a place of humility. God used them. They were able to come back, to return. No, Edom is going to be cut off and they're cut off forever. It is doom and gloom, these whole 21 verses. What did they do? They rejoiced over Jerusalem's fall. Look at Obadiah 11 and 12. On, the day, on that day, you stood aloof. On the day that strangers carried off his wealth and foreigners entered his gates and cast out lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. But do not gloat over your brother on the day of his calamity or his misfortune. Do not rejoice over the people of, of Judah in the day of their ruin. Do not boast in the day of distress. What did they do? Exactly like we said, they saw their brother getting what was coming to them and they rejoiced. Rather than being, in, rather than being active in their reconciliation, in their restoration, rather than being part of the solution, rather than helping and assisting them, they actually did the opposite. But they rejoiced over the fall of God's people, having no regard for God and his name and having regard only for themselves. They looted Jerusalem. Obadiah 13 says, Do not enter the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Do not gloat over his disaster in the day of his calamity. And do not loot his wealth in the day of his calamity. Three times. What did they do? They weren't just passive participants watching things, they went and started looting Jerusalem with the other powers. When the other people came in, when Jerusalem fell, they went in and got in on accumulating wealth of Jerusalem for themselves. What else did they do? Obadiah chapter 14. They captured and turned in refugees of Babylon. Obadiah 14. Do not stand at the crossroads to cut off his fugitives. Do not hand over his survivors in the day of distress. Scripture tells us that Zedekiah, the king of Judah, fleed from the people of, of Babylon. When Babylon came in to destroy them, he, fle he fled. And it says that they caught up with him, the Chaldeans caught up with him at a place called Arabah. In that place is very near the border of Edom. What we believe to have happened is that as the refugees of Judah left the country, the nation of Edom stood and waited, and when they crossed over, they took them captive and they took them back to Babylon. In fact, even the king. The king would be given, the Babylonian king, and his eyes would be plucked out, his children would be killed in front of him he would experience incredible torture at the hand of the Babylonians. And it was Edom who captured him and turned him in. For all of these reasons, you're going to be destroyed. See, what did God tell Abraham? Abraham, through you and your seed will all the nations of the world be blessed. You better believe Edom understood that promise. Why? Because it was the same childhood stories told to them as it was Jacob. Jacob and Esau heard the same Bible stories from their father Isaac. 
Through you and your seed will all the nations of the world be blessed. And Edom could have been part in bringing peace to their brother, to their nation. But instead, they chose bitterness. Instead of being a blessing, they chose bitterness. In your notes, God's justice is either revealed through blessing, the blessing of nations, or through our bitterness. And when we choose bitterness, when we choose unforgiveness, it doesn't make God any just, it just puts us in the center of his wrath. We talked last week. God has his church to point out the flaws in everybody else. His church, one task. The ministry of reconciliation. And I, I want you to understand, man, y'all know what's happened and transpired over this week. Y'all know the events that are going on in Europe. We are to seek the good of all people. We absolutely need to be praying for the Ukraine, praying for believers there. But y'all, our prayers shouldn't stop there. If our prayers stop there, we're guilty of the same stuff Edom's doing. God has called us to preach the message of reconciliation to the whole world. God because of who he is. We seek his grace because of who we are. Regardless of what battle line they are on, every single one engaged in that conflict are made in Every single one of them, God is worthy of their worship. And we as God's people should be seeking that. Instead of aligning ourselves with a political bias, instead of aligning with a particular side, we should be about reconciliation. We, you, know, you, know why, you know why these things happen? Because they're outside of a relationship with God. We need people saved. right? We need people. Why, do, why, do, why does the world act like the world? Because they're the world. They're outside of a relationship with Christ. But then it's really crazy when people start looking at the church and they see the same type of turmoil in the church. We don't do it with guns and with armor and with, with tanks. We just do it with words. We do it with slander. We do it with our actions. God has called us to be a blessing. His people are to be a blessing to all nations. Started with Abraham. It continues through us today. We are part of his seed through faith, through adoption. We seek his reconciliation, and the reconciliation of all. Number third, three, and finally, number third, Edom's salvation through Israel. If God would save Edom, he would save anyone. That was on the mind of every Jew. If God would save Esau, he would save anybody. Them sorry dogs. Listen, verse 15. For the day of the Lord is near upon all nations. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall be returned on your head. For as you have drunk on my holy mountain, so all the nations shall drink continually. They shall drink and swallow, and they shall be as though they have never been. This is what happens to Edom. You've made light of Mount Zion. You've made light of me. You've made light of God, and you'll be destroyed from the face of the earth. But in Mount Zion, there shall be those who escape. 
and it shall be holy. What is an amazing trend in scripture when we study it is to see that God always saves a remnant. Even though Edom would be politically wiped off the face of the planet. Goodness, geographically wiped off the face of the planet. There would be some who will be rescued. There are some who will escape judgment. But they're not going to escape judgment through Mount Esau, through Mount Seir, Mount Hor. They're not going to uh, uh, escape judgment through the way of Esau, the godless ruggedness in their own strength. The only way they will escape is if they run to Zion. In Mount Zion there shall be those who escape and it shall be holy. Guess what? God's people weren't holy. Guess what? We're not holy. Guess what? Edom is not holy. Guess what? Russia is not holy. Guess what? Ukraine is not holy. But there is always a remnant who, if they will respond to the grace of God, if they will run to Mount Zion, they will be saved and Mount Zion will be holy. That means blameless. That means sin-free. Y'all, we haven't seen it yet, but that's what's coming They will be restored, and the house of Jacob shall possess their own possessions. For those who would humbly submit to God, submit to his will, submit to his lordship. You see, for Edom, it looked like finding refuge in Judea. And they literally did. The largest constituents of Edomites that claim that in their heritage, guess where they live? Judea. It happened just like was prophesied. It happened. But not just that, not just physically, but spiritually. All those who would run to God would be saved. So if you're here today, here's what I know. You've got a decision to make. Life or death Blessing or cursing. God's justice is revealed either through restoration or ruin. Life or death. God can restore you or he can prove his holiness and his righteousness towards you in his destruction of you. Right? What did, what did uh, Paul say? Don't fear the man who can kill you. Don't fear man, he can kill you. Fear the one who can kill both body and soul. Right? Fear God who has control over all of it. And if we would run to him, we will experience his salvation. And if you're in here and you've experienced his salvation, then my friend, you've got one message to preach. It's not yours. It's not your political agenda. It's not your schedule. It's not what you got going on in your life. It ain't your kids. It ain't any of those things. It is the gospel, the unadulterated gospel of Jesus Christ that's lived out not just through your words, but your actions, but they're lived out in both arenas. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Because God saves a remnant. And guess what we are? Those that have a relationship with Christ have been saved miraculously by a holy God. And we're a remnant. And so we preach reconciliation. We preach revival 
to the nations. Every tribe, tongue, and nation will be represented in the song of the Lamb at the end. We win. Why are we telling people that? God has called us into a right relationship. And so with every head bow and eyes closed, if you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Christ, you're the most important person in this room. God has made a way for you to be saved. It's not found in your own strength. It's not found in your own ability. It's not found in your own own propensity to produce. It's found through Mount Zion. God has given us a lamb. He has provided a sacrifice for us. And if we would respond in obedience to him, humbly respond, he can bring restoration in your life and in mine. And then, for those of us in here that have that relationship, this is the message that God has called us to preach. This is the only message that can save. What did Acts, what did Luke say in Acts? There's only one name under heaven given among men by which we, must, we can be saved. There's only one name, and that's the name of Jesus. What name have you been championing? What name has been on your lips? There's only one that can save. But my friend, he saves to the uttermost. So if you're here and you desire a right relationship with him, come find me. When I say amen, this will be a time of invitation for you to respond. However, the Lord leads you to respond. Come front. I'd love to let you talk to one of our counselors. I would love to talk to you about how you can have a relationship with Christ. They just want to go through that. It won't take long. It won't be a long process. They just want to talk to you about how you can know that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You can get it settled. Or maybe you're here. Maybe you need to do some business at this altar praying for yourself or praying for others that like Edom have the wrath of God focused on them because they've never never come into a right relationship with him. Maybe you need to pray for someone's salvation today. Maybe you need to intercede. Maybe you need to make your seat right where you're at your altar. But Whatever the Lord would lead you to do in this time of invitation, would you do it? Would you respond to his goodness his holiness and his grace today. Father, have your will and way in our hearts and lives. We love you and we thank you for a pursuing, restoring, seeing and finishing love that has been poured out on us. God, may we respond to that. I pray for one that needs to do business with you, God. I pray you give them boldness and strength to take the first step Lord, we pray that you would sustain them the rest of the way. God, we thank you for how you work in our hearts and lives and how you call us to yourself. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you stand to your feet as we sing? This is your time to respond. Need a relationship with Christ. Need to get things right. Need to need to become a member, need to be baptized. Whatever the decision may need to pray here at the altar, intercede for yourself or someone else. Would you come as we sing?